name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 89 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren, joined by my sister Renee. Say hello. Hello, everyone. All right. Spring has sprung, sort of. It's getting warmer outside. <gasps> Yay! <Really happy>. Finally, <laughs> winter is over. <laughs> Finally. So this is the time of year that I used to get sick all the time. I never got sick in the winter. Not never, but I used to always get sick in this transition from winter to spring. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure if my liver was just kicking up a lot of stuff. It was like my body was doing spring cleaning, but I used to get colds or, you know, things happening in the chestal bronchial region. It hasn't happened in a very long time, but we're talking about lab markers for health and prevention today. So that just was kind of on my mind that we are talking about how to test for things before they are an issue. We're talking about prevention. This is really, really important. And we're going to introduce to you the eight lab markers that we believe are the most important for optimal health. We started with a six and Renee snuck in an extra two. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. I kept editing the title. I was like, it's seven. I mean, it's eight. eight. <laughs> okay. I'll stop myself there. <laughs> yeah. We'll try to keep it simple. This is not to scare anyone by any means. This is just prevention. It just means that while you are healthy and feeling good, it's just kind of a good thing to know, to check out for yourself. We are trying to look upstream to make sure that nothing is happening before it's a problem because we know things can happen upstream long before you actually have symptoms before you actually sort of like feel disease or feel pain whatever it is whatever your symptoms are things can be going on long before that in the body so we're just trying to get ahead of that say one step ahead of our bodies and our health by looking at these lab markers yeah and you know we talk about labs a lot on the show and there are always going to be more extensive or comprehensive labs you can can do. And I think certainly if you're already having a health issue, you might want to dive deeper and do those to really get to the root cause. But if you're really focusing on prevention and optimal health and just optimizing everything going on in your body, these are really good labs to run. You know, I would say even just once a year, just to get, get your baseline. And then every year you can check in and see, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? If you don't know where you are today, you're not going to have much information in a couple of years from now. And I think the other thing is, you know, if you're going to a more traditional allopathic practice, you know, maybe you are getting some blood work done once a year, but the problem is a lot of their, what we call normal ranges for these numbers are so wide that you're not even going to get a red flag. So we're going to talk about the different markers. We're going to give you a couple ranges of what you should be looking for, but just know that if you go to a traditional doctor and just get this done and they say, oh, everything's okay, you might want to look a little bit further. Yeah. And I know we've mentioned this before, but the reason for that is that they're looking at a sick population with a healthy population. It's just like such a wide population that the net is just 
super wide. <laughs> and with functional right. ranges, we're just looking a little more specifically. It's just a narrower gap. And with functional medicine, we're not only looking at the smaller ranges, but we're looking at the correlations between markers because we're trying to piece together a story. We really can kind of put together a puzzle and see correlations, see cause and effect, and see the, the overall picture. So that's really the goal with functional medicine is looking at the overall picture. And I think this is just uh, an effect of traditional medicine because their job is to treat sick people. That's what they have time for. It's usually just a quick scan down the list. Does it, is it fall somewhere in this wide range? Okay. You're good. You're probably okay, but there may be another story that's not being clarified there. Right. Yeah. It's more like emergency medicine. It's like once things are showing up on those labs, it's extreme by that point. So we're all about prevention, right? We're going to keep driving that home today. Yeah. Um, and then as far as testing options, so we're mainly talking about blood testing. So these are things that, you know, you can be ordered by your doctor, practitioners like Lauren and I. So just a simple blood draw. The one marker we are going to talk about today that is better to be done through saliva is going to be cortisol. So we'll get to that category in a little bit, but you might see cortisol on your blood test, not a great measurement because it's just looking at your cortisol in the moment. And I don't know about you all, but I get a little stressed when I'm getting blood taken. So my cortisol <laughs> is going to be a little bit higher. So we really like doing saliva for that. And the cool thing about that is you can do it at home. You can do it four times during the day at your own convenience. It's, so. it's a super fun test. <laughs> super fun. I love we'll it. We'll explain why soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So blood and saliva, that's what we're looking at today. All right, Lauren, can we jump into the markers? Anything else? Yeah, so we're going to list what we chose is the top eight most important markers. And I would say this is aside from your CBC. So aside from your, your blood cell count, your white blood cells, which you do need to be looking at, this is an addition to that. Right, right. Yeah, so still get that, you know, every year from your doctor, for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay, <laughs> fighting to the chase. Okay, we put number one, fasting blood glucose and HbA1c. Blood sugar, baby. We're always of talking. Of course, this is number one. Of course. Number one. It's the number one predictor of metabolic syndrome, which I believe, we believe is the root of all disease, blood sugar dysregulation. It's what predicts diabetes, insulin resistance, cardiovascular disease, and risk. So we really need to be looking at what your blood sugar is doing. And there's two ways to do that. So fasting blood glucose would be obviously where your glucose is at after a fast overnight. You generally just take this first thing in the morning. It's not like you have to torture yourself through a 24 hour or three day fast. It's just after fasting overnight, what is your, your morning marker? And then the HbA1c is a little more long-term. We're looking at like a two to three month marker. So what we're looking at with HbA1c is the glycosylation over this longer period of time. So the higher or the longer your blood glucose stays elevated, the higher this number will be. We know this is not a good thing. So you want that HbA1c to be low, but we also want to pair it with the fasting blood glucose because we're looking at trends. We're looking at what's happening throughout your day, similar to the cortisol, which we will explain soon. We really want to see how are you responding to food? How are you responding to stress? How are you responding to sleep and recovery? And this is a rhythm that's happening throughout our day. You know, we're dynamic beings. We have this circadian rhythm. And I don't think that just one number like the HbA1c is going to be full provide the full snapshot. 
we really need to see these two together. Yeah. And I think, I guess to talk a little bit more about fasting glucose, I think the nice thing about this is you can do it at home every day. If you wanted to, you know, you just get a simple glucose monitor and simple finger prick after your overnight fast. And the goal there is around, you know, 65 to 95. The, that's the range, but I still think 95 is a little bit high. I think lower is better, but just the fact that you can do it day after day and see, you know, what it is day, um, based on what you're doing the previous day. So, you know, did you sleep really poorly the night before? Oh my gosh, look at my fasting glucose. Oh, mm -hmm. I did that exercise yesterday. Wow. Look at my fasting glucose. Oh, I had ice cream after dinner. Whoa. You know, so you can see <laughs> like your daily trends by what's going on versus you're right. Like the A1C it's like two to three months, um, of what's going on. Yeah. And then I think numbers for A1C. So, you know, now they're looking at 5.7 to 6.4 is the pre-diabetic range. And then over 6.4 is diabetes. So good numbers to know. Now they say normal is below 5.7, but I have always had in my head since I um, went through some anti-aging training years ago from this doctor, he said 5.0 is the golden number. He says, if you are at five or less, I'm actually at 4.7. If you're at five, he says, you are slowing the aging process significantly. You want to slow down aging? That's your number to go for. And that just stuck with me. You beat me. I'm at 4.8. Woo. Yeah, but you got, I'm two years behind. So, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll so see. No, yeah. So, no, no, your A1C. That should be like, I think, like a conversation starter. Like, hey, my name's Renee. What's your A1C? Like, you should just know that number, <laughs> like, blindly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead of talking about the weather, it should be, hey, what's your A1C? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not on dating apps. I haven't ever been on them, but. I oh know my gosh. <laughs> now I've heard from friends that are in that space on the dating apps. Now it's like, have you gotten your shot? I would prefer if people just ask your, <laughs> your glucose numbers. Cause to me, that's a predictor of longevity. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking the other day when I was flying, you know, obviously you have to wear a mask when you fly. And I was like, can you imagine if they asked you your vitamin D level before you flew? Mm -hmm. Oh, your vitamin D is above 50. You don't have to wear a mask. You know, like, can you imagine <laughs> that should be the new thing? Anyway, that will never happen, but great. So blood sugar, blood sugar, <laughs> definitely know, know your numbers. I'm still digesting that one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be thinking about that all day now. Yeah. Great. Anything else with glucose? Uh, if you haven't been listening to us for a while, we'll just recap this. You can wear a CGM if you want to track the trends throughout the day. You can also do a finger prick, which is a much more inexpensive option, though it's a little tedious and you'll be pricking your finger all day long, which is kind of annoying. Get a CGM if you can for a month, uh, but you also can just get these markers from your doctor. Fairly easy. Yes. And for CGM, we, we're both still using Levels. I know their wait list is getting crazy long, but we do have a link that helps you skip the wait list. I think it's still eight to 12 weeks at this time. Um, it's so popular, which is great. I mean, that's a good thing, but definitely check out levels. If you are interested and let us know. It's like a Disney fast pass. Does it actually mean that you're going to get on the ride right away? Not sure. <laughs> right. You're just skipping the longer wait, but there's yeah. still a wait. It's still, it's definitely worth it. Get on there. Absolutely. Next up, Renee. All right. Next up, 
CRP, also known as C-reactive protein. So on a lab work, you might see um, high, sensitivity, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. So this is a blood test marker looking for inflammation. So we talk a lot about glucose and what's going on in the body, but inflammation is also at the root of everything. You look at any disease, you're going to see inflammation somewhere in the body. So really good to know what's going on in your body as far as inflammation. The goal here is below one. Um, when we go up to one to three, we're seeing an average risk for heart problems. And then above three, we're seeing a high risk. So really good numbers to know. And then actually above 10, that's where we can actually indicate if there's an impaired immune response or inflammatory disease. Hopefully you all never see that number, but that's a big, big red flag. Want to get that below one. So C-reactive protein, it's actually produced in the liver. So this protein is found in the blood. So the only way you can test it is through a blood test. Not, no other way to do that. If this is high, we want to see, okay, well, where could that inflammation be coming from? Is it coming from your inflammatory diet? Is it too much stress? Is it some kind of toxic exposure? You know, inflammation, we can't always feel it, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you'll have a little puffiness, some bloating, like some people may tie it to that, but this low grade chronic inflammation, you're not really going to feel. So you want to know this number before it becomes a problem. So definitely keep it below one. Yeah. The lower, the better. Something that I always think about with CRP is this plant-based movement. A lot of the plant-based followers or vegans out there have argued that if you eat carnivore, if you eat any meat, that your CRP is going to be really high. And I've been, I've had people on Instagram be like, I stopped eating meat. My CRP went way down. Your CRP must be so high. I'm like, no, it's actually almost zero. And I'm not completely carnivore, but I eat a fair amount of meat. So that is just an argument for eating quality meat and supporting regenerative agriculture, but it's also super personal super personal to your diet, your lifestyle, your environment, your genetics. So much goes into this. So as Renee said, you just have to test. You just have to know because it's different for everyone. And I could never look at someone and be like, oh, they're eating that. Their CRP is definitely this. I don't know. Right. Yeah. There's just so many other factors for inflammation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, same thing for me. Obviously I eat a lot of meat and my CRP, it's less than 0.1. It doesn't even show up. So. Oh, beat me again. I'm point three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, this episode just turned into a competition. <laughs> Maybe we should change the title to the, the battle of the biomarkers yeah. with the babes, with the babes, BBB. I like it. I like it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> awesome. All right. CRP, know your inflammation. All right. Another C word, cholesterol, which is I'm sure familiar to all of you. We've all heard of cholesterol and has gotten a very bad rap through the years. And uh, what are we looking at with cholesterol? So there's lots of different markers. There's triglycerides, there is HDL, there is LDL. We have total triglycerides. There's even some more in there, but those are the major ones you want to look at. Also your triglyceride to HDL ratio. So total cholesterol is not always the best measurement. We have to really look further and then look at the relationship between them, like the triglyceride to HDL ratio can be um, a, a great predictor as to what's happening, where it's trending. That's the thing with a lot of these ranges, or sorry, a lot of these numbers. That's not like a definitive black and white answer. We have to be analytical and see which direction are they moving. Again, we're dynamic beings. Things are always changing, always responding. So just because this blood marker is this today doesn't mean it's there to stay. It can change. It will change. So we just always have to keep in mind that things can be moving in one direction or the other. Hopefully it's not on a slippery slope or a steep climb. 
that's what we hope. So HDL, just in basics, this is known as the more protective form of cholesterol. We want this to be a strong number. LDL is potentially dangerous, so we don't want that to be too high. Triglycerides is a form of stored fat that circulates in the bloodstream. Usually, it's from excess weight, calories, alcohol, lack of exercise, liver damage, could be genetics, and just like overall inflammation will raise triglycerides. Numbers. You got some numbers, Renee? Yeah, I think some numbers to keep an eye out for. So total cholesterol, you know, a lot of practitioners I think are aiming for getting it below 200 now. And like, there's a big movement of diagnosing and um, prescribing statins for that. But really total cholesterol, the only time that's a red flag is if it's above 330. If it's above 330, then yes, like we have some major work to do. But if it's not that high, then we really need to look at the other markers that Lauren just said. Like, well, what is your HDL? What is your ratio of triglycerides to HDL? Like you need to look further. And, you know, we kind of say HDL is like the good cholesterol and LDL is the bad cholesterol, but like, that's just to simplify it. Like it, it can definitely get more advanced, but just keep that in mind. Um, but you want to look further and then, you know, potentially the optimal number is around 200 and it's actually interesting. So we're actually seeing now with all of the stands being prescribed, there's an increase in dementia and cognitive dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And this is probably because, you know, 25% of our cholesterol is actually found in the brain. So if we start lowering the cholesterol below 200, we're starting to rob the brain of a lot of important things. So we don't yeah. want to do that. That's kind of scary. And then I yes, think I'm really you're made of cholesterol. A brain has cholesterol. A hormones need cholesterol. We've demonized yep. it for so long. We need cholesterol. And actually our yeah. next marker, I'm going to bump because vitamin D needs to come next on this list after cholesterol. Great. We'll do that. Yeah. Let me just throw one more number at you guys. Um, so triglycerides to HDL, that ratio should be below two. I think that's such an important number to know. What is your ratio? Mm -hmm. The below two is really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many things that affect this. So you could eat a perfectly healthy diet. I, I know I have some genetic susceptibility to having slightly higher tri uh, triglycerides and cholesterol. So it's not always dietary. And there are a lot of ways that you can bring that down naturally, like um, consuming fish oil. We want more omega-3s, omega-6. Most of us are inflamed, so have a higher omega-6 ratio. I'm just totally oversimplifying this. But it, I think a lot of us immediately go to the dietary inputs and think, oh, I ate a fatty cut of meat that has, now my cholesterol is going to be high, and now I'm at risk for cardiovascular disease. It doesn't really work like that. So you really have to step back and look at the wider net. So I know I have some genetic variation, so I have to keep an eye on that, make sure I get my fish oil um, and kind of dial in some other factors. So there's usually yeah. a larger picture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think, you know, your liver health is really important. Mm -hmm. said, yeah. Maybe it's not your diet, but you know, the liver plays a really big role in, in cholesterol in the body. So if your liver is bogged down because you're being exposed to mold in your house or toxic cleaning products or a new car, whatever, you know, if your liver's in the overdrive, that can actually raise your cholesterol. So you could be on this perfect diet, but if you're in a toxic environment, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think Sorry. So many people still <laughs> think about the liver and they're like, well, if I don't drink a lot, then my liver's good. It's like, well, the liver doesn't just detoxify alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the alcohol industry's created quite a... <laughs> False yeah, idea it's such an easy correlation where our liver is working so hard all day long. Yeah. Everything we're exposed to has to be filtered good yeah. and bad. So yeah. Awesome. 
So I'm going to jump down to vitamin D since we're on this cholesterol topic. We know vitamin D is the sunshine vitamin and it influences over 200 genetic expressions in the body. It is super, super important. I know you all know this. We've been talking a lot of it about it with the pandemic because it's a regulator of the immune system, but it does so many other things. But a great way to get vitamin D or to produce vitamin D is to get sunshine. So the sun shines on the cholesterol in your skin. Then it goes through a, a process throughout the body. It's like super complicated, but essentially, um, it's going to end up being metabolized by the liver, but we need cholesterol. We need our liver to be functioning. And then we can produce the active form of vitamin D that not only regulates our immune function, it protects cell growth, protects neuromuscular function. Possibly the biggest role is that it promotes calcium absorption. It's protecting our bones and we know what happens with deficiency. So it's, it's linked to immune dysregulation. It's also linked to risk of heart attack, cancer, diabetes, autoimmunity, uh, asthma, mood dysregulation. Like we need vitamin D and you have to test it. And on traditional lab ranges, I think the, the ranges are far too low, far too low. I think most doctors are saying like, if you're at 30, you're okay. Optimal is 50. And higher. Yeah. And higher. Yeah, I think the number, you know, they say 30, they say aim for 35. That's to prevent rickets. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Like, I mean, I think in 2021, that's pretty rare. Hopefully that's pretty archaic. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like a severe deficiency, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, to have all those amazing things that you just talked about, like to prevent all of those. Yeah. You want to be above 50. I mean, and I think a lot of oncologists, maybe not a lot, cancer doctors, um, would say above 80 for cancer prevention, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, 50 is a great goal. Yeah. So if your doctor does not run this with your traditional lab work, request it. You can just get a vitamin D test. If they're not giving it to you, come to us. We'll write a script for you. Um, you need to know your vitamin D status, especially after the winter that we went through. Uh, Renee, you're probably a little more protected. You have more sunshine than I do year round, uh, because I'm above the 37th parallel, but thankfully my D minder app is back on the grid. I can now get vitamin D by going outside. Ooh. It is oh, that's great. Good time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> you survived. I remember when your D-Minder app said like next available time for vitamin D, it was like 88 days or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Depressing. Depressing. Yeah. But I made it through the winter. So I supplement with vitamin D because I know my levels and I know how much I can take. I think it's super important before you supplement to know your levels because it's a fat soluble vitamin. You can overdo it. I think that's kind of contested how much is really the upper limit. I've heard different, different opinions, even within the functional medicine world, but most of us are deficient, but it's just a really good idea to test before you start taking also, cause then you can change the dosage. You can titrate how much you're getting depending on how much you need. Right. Right. Yeah. If you know your number, maybe you don't even need to supplement. Maybe you can just go outside and call it a day. Mm -hmm. And then also always a good idea to supplement vitamin K2 with your vitamin D just to make sure it goes to the appropriate places in the body. Um, you know, there was, I think a little bit of a wave where people were overdosing vitamin D and people were ending up with kidney stones and some issues. So mm -hmm. know your number and then add vitamin K2 with your D. Perfect. D3, vitamin D3. Yep. 
Awesome. All right. Let's move on to cortisol. So this is going to be our saliva test. So ideally you're looking at your cortisol three or four times throughout the day, depending on the test you're doing. Lauren and I really like doing the Dutch panel because it does the four points throughout the day. And then it's also looking at your cortisol awakening response. So you do two morning tests to really see what's going on in the morning. That can give you a lot of information. So the cortisol production is actually normally at its highest within 30 minutes after waking. So that's why the two points in the morning are really helpful. But then your cortisol is going to slowly drop until bedtime. And it actually works inversely with melatonin. So as our cortisol drops towards bedtime, our melatonin increases, we get nice and sleepy and have a wonderful night of sleep in the perfect <laughs> world. That's how sleep is so easy. Yeah. <laughs> perfect little cortisol curve, but unfortunately, so some of us have adrenal gland dysfunction and that can cause some irregularities in your cortisol curve. So good to know what's going on there. If it is you know, inverse. So maybe low cortisol in the morning, high at night, things you can do to fix that. Or if it's flat all day, or if it's high all day, all of that is going to change. All of the information is going to change what you do as far as sleep habits, supplements, diet, caffeine, exercise. So a lot of things that you can change based off of this information. So great, great thing to test. Um, overall, so if you have higher than normal cortisol production throughout the day, this can actually be from prolonged stress. So right. Cortisol, everyone thinks of it as like our stress hormone. That's kind of like the cheat sheet idea, but you might have some symptoms like feeling wired and tired, um, also food cravings, and then even some insomnia or anxiety. So at night, um, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, that could actually be a cortisol issue. And then we also have the other end of the spectrum. We have the burnout. So a lot of people are calling this adrenal fatigue for a while, but now we know it's really probably more the HPA axis dysfunction. So it's, um, you know, the loop from the brain to the adrenals, not really communicating properly, but that's going to show up as low cortisol all day, um, which is not good either, but that's going to be really fatigue, irritability, food cravings could also be insomnia. This is another cause of that, but then just total exhaustion, just wanting to sleep all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that. I definitely had that. And I had really yeah. reduced immune function from it. That's how I really knew something was wrong because I just kept getting sick all the time. Total yeah. burnout. Yeah. But I think you could have dysregulated cortisol and not really feel it, especially if you're a type A personality that's just go, 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 and you're super motivated. Nothing is going to hold you down. Your cortisol could be tanking, but you're still like, nope, I'm getting through this day and nothing's going to stop me. That's why it's so important to test this. You need to know what is actually happening in the body. You also need to know where it's trending because you could do, if you just did that one point cortisol from blood, which is a, an average, it's a sum total. You don't know, like if your cortisol awakening response is nothing, which is, that's one of the most important ones. Cause we're really looking at circadian rhythm. And this is what is a true reflection of, is that working? Are you getting sunshine in the morning or all these like waking hormones showing up to get you through the day? You need that car. So if you're getting a sum, you know, something could be super low, something could be something super high, and then you're just catching the in-between. So right. not super like, reflective. What does that mean? But also, even if you did do this four or five point cortisol, which is cool. Sorry, I have a lot of things to say. Try and squeeze them in. Even with the, the four or five point cortisol, so you can see time of day 
And what's the most stressful time of day for you? So maybe everything else is in range, but this one's a little higher, a little low. What's happening at that time of day? So that's where it gets really specific and it's helpful. But even with those tests, you don't know if it's coming down from a high, if it's coming back up from a low, you have to be analytical and figure out where is it trending because it could be good today, but where is it en route to? Yeah. The trends are so important. It's going to give you a better picture. Yeah. So this is a diurnal cortisol and it's a saliva test. Like we mentioned earlier, we love the Dutch test, which is done at home. It's super fun because you get to spit into a tube or (laughs) put a a cotton, uh, what is it called? A cotton roll inside of your cheek and just let it saturate. It's delicious. I know (laughs) none of this is sexy. I don't think any lab testing is really that sexy, but it's not the worst thing. I think it's actually a fairly easy way and it's just super, super reflective. gives you such a nice picture. So it's worth doing. Yeah. It's one of my favorite tests. Absolutely. Especially after 2020, we're all stressed. (laughs) Let's check out what we actually did to our nervous system in 2020. Get your cortisol. Yes. Yeah. I do that at least once a year. I check my cortisol. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else? Gosh, we could talk about it forever, but let's move on. (laughs) We did an episode earlier this year where we talked a little bit more about cortisol testing. So definitely check that episode out if you want to dive deeper into that topic. Yeah. Rewind. Okay. Next up, a full thyroid panel. So your doctor probably tested your TSH, super common for that marker to be on a normal traditional lab test. But even better is to look at the full thyroid panel so that we're looking at all the markers like T3, T4, um, your free markers of T3, T4. So TSH just doesn't show the entire picture because we need to know how the thyroid is interacting with the rest of the body. We need to know how these thyroid markers are interacting with each other. We need to know how much is free and available for our cells to use for an optimally functioning metabolism. So if you don't know your thyroid, which is that like butterfly shaped gland in your neck, it is a master gland. It regulates our metabolism. It's part of our endocrine hormonal system and it produces two major hormones, T3, T4. It crosstalks with all the other hormones in your body. So many things affect it and it affects so many things. So if you have too much, too little, if the relationship between the two is off, your whole system can really go bonkers. So you got to look at all those markers, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, Ooh, antibodies, thyroid antibodies are a red flag for autoimmunity and most thyroid dysregulation is autoimmunity. Um, so that's a really great way to catch upstream events before they have become fully fledged disease or dysfunction. Yeah. I mean, Hashimoto's is definitely on the rise. We're seeing so many cases of that. Yeah. Um, good to know. Yeah. And then just a little bit more about TSH, I think. So that's your thyroid stimulating hormone. This is just looking at like what the brain is telling the thyroid to do. That's Mm -hmm. not enough information. And if your TSH is out of range, like your everything else is probably really out of range. So for mm-hmm. that to be out of range, you you got to do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I, I hear this all the time from especially women. You know, oh my TSH was fine. My doctor said my thyroid is fine, and then you <laughs> run a full panel, and it's like everything is way off. Chaos. Yeah, and then you have you know brain fog, fatigue, can't lose weight. You know, so many of the things that we hear about day after day. Mm-hmm. So definitely want to make sure everything with the thyroid is working optimally. Yes, one hundred percent. 
Next. All right. Iron. And then I had to throw ferritin in, but we're going to count this as one biomarker. Oh yeah. They're buddies. They're buddies. So iron, you know, it's a trace element. It's what transports oxygen and CO2 in the blood. It's kind of crazy. Actually around 25% of the world's population suffers from anemia. So that's iron deficiency. So it's not just menstruating women that people think, oh yeah, they're all anemic. No, there's a lot of the population um, that doesn't fit into that category. But it's a little bit more about iron. So it's a mineral. It's actually from the earth, but it's not made in our bodies. We have to get it from food and ideally not iron fortified food. I know that's been the big thing over the last hundred years to help with this, but (laughs) that's not the right iron that we want to get, but it is required to make hemoglobin. And that's the protein that carries oxygen throughout the blood, um, sorry, throughout the body. And because of that, we can see signs of what kind of is like low oxygen in the body. So fatigue, weakness, dizziness, irregular heartbeats, uh, chest pain, cold hands and feet, shortness of breath. Those are all signs of low iron. And then ferritin, you know, I put this BFF on board because ferritin (laughs) is actually the blood protein that carries the iron. So it's telling you how much iron your body is storing. So good to know both numbers because you could have really high iron, but low ferritin, vice versa. Both could be high, both could be low. So really good to know both numbers. And, you know, like Lauren said in the beginning, it's not just about this one biomarker, but it's what's going on. What are the relationships? So what is the relationship of iron and ferritin in your body? Have to mention iron can be too high as well. So oh, not for sure. Just, yeah. Yeah. Not just about anemia. And if it's too high, it is toxic to the body. Mm-hmm. This is more common in men just because they are not bleeding on a monthly basis. A really easy fix for men that have high iron or women, if that's the case, is go donate some blood. Go donate. Yeah. Easy. Just by letting go of some of that blood, you can lower your iron really, really easily. Now, if you have low iron, please don't do that. It's maybe not the best idea. But yeah, if your iron's too high, it can just increase risk for a lot of health issues, cardiovascular, cancer. Don't want to, don't want to mess with that. Um, yeah. What else? Um, oh, so yeah, like I was, like I was saying with the iron fortified foods. Yeah. Not ideal to get your iron that way. We had a great episode with James Berry talking a lot about organ meats, but organ meats and animal protein are really the type of iron that we want in our body. So that's a good way to get it. Yeah. And I would also say that iron supplements aren't necessarily the answer either, because it could be an upstream effect. It could be something else. This is why we have to kind of really look at the big picture and see what else is affecting it. There's so many other things that can affect your iron and ferritin. So just taking an iron supplement may not be the answer. Maybe it's the answer, but I think you need to do all these other markers first and take a deep dive and see what is your body really deficient in, or is there a genetic variation that's, you know, not allowing your body to methylate or synthesize or metabolize or <laughs> there's millions of things. Um, yeah. So yes, like Chef James Berry said, we can look to animal protein and organ meats because your body can probably absorb them better. They are more bioavailable than an iron fortified food or a supplement. And then to go even a step further to make sure you're really absorbing this stuff, vitamin C is a great way, a great way to enhance bioavailability. So Mm -hmm. I'm not like a big orange juice drinker. (laughs) If you wanted to have a little citrus with your iron rich food, that would ensure that you're just um, absorbing just a little bit more. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I think just know your iron and ferritin. And then if it's an issue, then that's where you would dive deeper. Um, Cause there's also a strong relationship with copper and zinc to iron Mm -hmm. in the body. You know, yeah. Like Lauren said, are you absorbing iron in the gut? 
do you have leaky gut? Do you have a parasite? You know, there's a lot that can go on in the gut that can cause low iron. So supplementing could be a good short-term fix, but you want to get to the root cause of why that is. Yeah. Great. That's iron have in a nutshell. We made it to the last one. Numero ocho. Here we go. Okay. We have another inflammatory marker because CRP wasn't enough and inflammation is so popular, <laughs> but we want to make it <laughs> unpopular. So homocysteine, this is an inflammatory amino acid. It is strongly linked to heart disease. And so what's happening in the body is the amino acid is created during a metabolic process and is a byproduct of methylation. If it's not properly metabolized in the body, it can build up and become toxic. We've said toxic a lot today causing inflammation. So this can lead to cardiovascular, neurological, endocrine issues, lots going on here. It's also commonly elevated in people with autoimmune issues. We need to look at a lot of different things here. So I'm just going to insert my personal anecdotal evidence here. My homocysteine tends to be a little bit higher. I have like this genetic variation that predisposes me to higher homocysteine. So I know I have some methylation issues and I need to make sure that I'm getting all of these cofactors and methyl donors so that I can quell that inflammation and metabolize the amino acids. So some causes, genetics, especially like the MTHFR mutation, B vitamin deficiencies. I have to say for myself, I always think, oh, I eat so healthy. I can get away with not taking B vitamins. B vitamins are so important. They are cofactors for so many processes in the body. I have at times thought I'm okay not taking it. And every time I do a lab test, I'm like, nope, I really, I need to take those. <laughs> yeah. So especially B6, B9, B12, when we're talking about homocysteine, Alcohol consumption is definitely a cause for higher homocysteine and inflammatory diet, lack of exercise. There's probably a lot more we can put on that list. You want to talk about some numbers, Renee? Yeah, I think ideal, you know, in the functional range, we're looking at six to eight. Um, I think for a while, like homocysteine was the bad guy. Everyone was like, get your homocysteine low, 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 but actually too low can cause other issues. So, you know, <laughs> it's a natural byproduct in the body. Methylation is going to happen. We're going to have homocysteine. Don't try and get mm -hmm. it to zero. So six to eight is probably a good, good goal. And if it's out of range, like Lauren said, look at all those factors. I, I would probably start with genetics and just see if that is kind of setting you up and then just know there's ways to overcome that. I'm the same way. I, I always end up back on the B complex and not just my genetics, but higher stress. We tend to burn through our B vitamins quickly. Mm -hmm. So just have to keep an eye on that. Yeah. I really think the genetic component is important. We know this is not black and white just because you have the variation doesn't mean you're going to get it. I just think it's good to look at the landscape to see what's a possibility because in our very toxic, stressful environments, kind of anything is possible these days. I'm just thinking, so yeah. Renee, you just went to the biohacking Congress and I tuned in virtually. And I know you asked them a question, some of the doctors about genetics. And I feel like they kind of responded in a, doesn't really matter. That was sort of my take, my takeaway. Yeah, I, I think, think it does matter. I think it's yeah. a consideration. It's not the only thing, but it should be a consideration. Yeah, I don't think you can just run your genetics and then say, here's your diet and everything else that you should be doing. It's a consideration. I like that you said that word. It and yeah, epigenetics is the is a is a real thing. And I think that most of the doctors on that panel, I think they're such supporters of epigenetics that they kind of like poo-pooed the genetic thing. But if you're at a slightly increased risk for this and you know, I can do these three things to lower my risk for that, why not? 
Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. And yeah. especially your genetics, you only have to test that one time. You right. get your data and you never have to test it again. Right. Unlike your blood, your saliva, urine, stool, which is dynamic and changing, genetics are always. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and now I'm just giggling because <laughs> we both wanted to share this quote. Um, I know you've heard this before. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Right? Should I say it again? Yes. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Who knows who said that? <laughs> Benjamin oh, <yes>. Franklin. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said it, <laughs> and it wasn't about health. It actually was about addressing fire safety. But this <laughs> quote has prevailed, and I think it's just really useful in so many different areas of our life, but especially with health. If we can take one step ahead and just, you know, just be prepared. We can prevent so much. We don't know what's lurking around the corners in our genetics and our blood. What's upstream. So like, why not? I feel like that's my motto. Why not? Yeah. I remember I read this article like 10 years ago about prevention and the doctor said, I think it was 0.001% of the population is interested in prevention. I was like, how is that possible? Yeah. I'm like, I hope that was wrong. That was also 10 years ago. I think that's changed a lot, but everything is easier to prevent. I mean, even something as simple as weight loss, much easier to maintain your weight than to lose the weight. Right. And I'm simplifying things, but same goes for every disease, much easier to just prevent it. Put, put a little bit of extra work in today to save a huge headache down the road. You're not just going to keep driving that message home. Yeah. The the catch up is just so much harder because again, like the symptoms are only going to present themselves long, long, long after your body has been brewing this up. Yeah. So don't wait for symptoms. Exactly. So just to recap this, we're really looking at functional medicine ranges because this is taking a wider perspective, right? We're, we're opening up the picture which is kind of funny. We're looking at more specific ranges, like a smaller, more narrow range and looking at the correlations, but we're really just casting a wider net so we can put together this puzzle. And we're looking upstream to see like what micro or cellular events are happening that eventually are going to cause these downstream systemic effects. So you don't want to find out tomorrow that you had diabetes because you never cared about blood sugar. You don't find out that you, I'm not going to go there, but you don't want to find out that you have something because you thought you were fine because you didn't have symptoms. So yeah. Great. Do the work. Yeah. So if you are interested in running these tests, which I hope you are (laughs) after all (laughs) that, um, you know, you have a couple options. You can go to your doctor, ask them to run these. Hopefully there's no fight there. Um, if they are not willing to run any of these, you can always come to Lauren and I, we're happy to order some labs for you. There's also some great online testing options. Uh, one of our partners, really great inside tracker. You can go online. Um, we do get 25% off for that. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes, but inside tracker, it's really great. They'll just send you the lab slip and you just drive over to like quest diagnostics, get your blood drawn. And then the really cool thing about inside trackers, they will also, if you are interested, do your genetic test, or you can send them your raw data if you already have it. And then they'll compare your current blood work to your genetics. So like Lauren and I, we were saying we are at a higher risk for increased triglycerides and then inside tracker checked our triglycerides. So we can like constantly compare what we're at higher risk for. So inside tracker, that's a great option. Any, anything else, Lauren? 
I love Inside Tracker. If you just want something more simple and your doctor can't run it, like we can easily write you a script just to get X, Y, and Z markers. Um, yeah, Inside Tracker is great. They do a some cortisol. So if you want to do cortisol, the diurnal, you would want to do something like the Dutch chest saliva, which we can order for you. Also, I don't believe thyroid is on Inside Tracker, right? Maybe TSH, no. but definitely not a full thyroid panel. So if you want that, that right. would also thing. Um, vitamin D is on there. Please go check your vitamin D. Yes. Please. Yeah. At a bare minimum. Great. Yeah. So contact your, your doctor. If you come up against any resistance for getting more markers, you can totally come to us or contact your functional medicine practitioner. There are so many ways to get the assessed. Thank goodness. Medicine is progressing in such a wonderful way that it's just becoming more and more accessible. So, um, we can all be grateful for that. Yes get your data, know your data, make some changes. All right. So those are our eight top biomarkers. Hopefully that was really helpful for you all. Let us know if you have any more questions. Always good to hear feedback from you all. Uh, we really appreciate it. And thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. See you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking.